Uh, as promised, I'm here. I'm not stuck in traffic tonight or uh, or rush hour or an accident or anything of that nature. Uh, it's episode 23, Halfie. This is Versus Media Live. I'm Colin. Uh, I'm Stephen L. Miller. Um, something happened today that, as I talked about on the podcast, felt like it was something that was um, inevitable, I should say. Uh, just maybe not as fast as we thought it would. And that was, you now have a major media corporation, media conglomerate, deciding that they are going to start utilizing uh, open AI chat GPT to create content for them. Uh, BuzzFeed is the company that did this, not as if you can't replace listicle journals or anything like that, but we ultimately know it's not going to just rely on that no matter what they say. It says BuzzFeed, this is part of the Wall Street Journal. BuzzFeed used ChatGPT Creator OpenAI to help create some of its content. CEO Jonah Peretti said publisher would use the technology to make more comprehensive quizzes and interactive content. Excuse me. Uh, he said, Mr. Peretti expects AI to assist the creative process and enhance the company's content while humans play the role of providing ideas cultural currency and inspired prompts. He wrote this in a memo uh, released today. In 15 years, he wrote, he expects AI and data to help uh, create, personalize, and animate the content itself rather than just curate existing content. Uh, one of the things going on today, and of course, upon this announcement, BuzzFeed stock shot up like 92%. <laughs> so a lot of investors are happy to hear this. And of course, we now hear about AI being utilized in investment firms as well it says buzzfeed remains focused on human generated journalism in its newsroom a spokesperson says spokeswoman said excuse me said thursday it says buzzfeed's move comes as chat gpt new chatbot technology from research lab OpenAI, generates buzz among consumers and businesses alike some publishers have said they are starting to discuss using ai technology while others are already experimenting with it Digital technology publisher CNET, for example, recently ran a test using internally designed AI technology to help editors create explainers around financial service topics. CNET's editor-in-chief, Connie Guglimo, this week said the publisher paused its test, which had led to the publication of 77 stories after finding a number of factual errors. But obviously, we have this fun nugget. Microsoft... Uh, which has invested billions of dollars in OpenAI, plans to incorporate artificial intelligence tools like ChatGPT into all of its products, said Chief Executive Satya Nadella said last week. So uh, this was something that was interesting because it wasn't even really being talked about six months ago. And now it's all over the place, and now you have Google trying to purchase it, and you already have Microsoft and Apple trying to implement it, and now you have media companies trying to use it. And uh, this feels like something kind of, to me at least, out of Jurassic Park, which is before we even know what we have uh, or we're experimenting with it, we're using it. And before you know it, we're not going to be able to control it. And I know that that sounds kind of dystopian in uh, a weird way, but while we're all kind of out here using it to make, you know, imaginary and make-believe debates or recipes or fictional writing, or I had one friend uses it for a cover letter, for example, for a resume. You have uh, multi-million, billion-dollar media conglomerates are trying to figure out how they can monetize this 
to keep your eyeballs uh, on their website, which is ultimately what BuzzFeed is trying to do. They want more personalized content, more personalized uh, quizzes, more personalized listicles. However, we know that that's not going to stay there. We know that eventually OpenAI and ChatGPT is going to go into actual news outlets. We've already seen them do it with imagery and illustrations that accompany their pieces and artworks. And um, the idea that they're now going to start utilizing this, say, for journalistic purposes, raises ethical questions beyond which we don't even have answers for, some of which I raised today on a podcast, which are what happens when uh, you, you feed a scenario into an AI or a news story, for example, or a law, and it spits out something that, say, a news editor does not like or does not approve of. Well, it's going to have biases built into it. And that's, of course, when we get into ethical questions about the idea of an AI is to present something, and I see it in comments, uh, to present something that's, you know, free of biases and free of opinions and free of agendas, uh, as we know all journalists carry with them, especially in this day and age. And the problem will then become is the people with these biases and these agendas are actually going to be ones writing this AI. I mentioned uh, over the weekend I was playing around with this and I had about an hour to two hour long climate debate. And uh, the debate doesn't stop. It doesn't give you an, an off point. It just keeps going and going and going, which I'm fine with. Um, but as you bring up things like faulty climate models, observational data is not actual science. It's not causality is causation and everything. It starts to argue with you along the same lines that says, yes, but however, and it, around and around we go. If you'd like to give it a shot, try to have a discussion about gender, for example, and what gender identity is and what biological sex is. Um, again, I had somebody on Twitter to me say that, you know, it feels like it's woke. And I said, I, I wouldn't say it's a woke AI. It's nothing like that. But it definitely, because of who's writing algorithms, it definitely has a bias to it. It definitely has a voice. And, of course, we know uh, how tech companies lean. We know how they lean ideologically. We know how they lean politically. That's ultimately going to affect how AI is perceived, and it's going to affect the facts of the world around us. Um, even just today... Congressman Rep. Jake Auchinklaus, uh, if his name sounds familiar, he is the son of Rod Auchinklaus, who is going to be taking over for Anthony Fauci. Uh, Auchinklaus read a speech on the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives today that was generated by AI Chatbot. Auchinklaus said he promoted the system, he prompted the system in part to write 100 words to deliver on the floor of the House of Representatives about the legislation. This is via a report of the uh, Associated Press. Alkenklaas said that he had to refine the prompt several times to produce the text he ultimately read. His staff said they believe it's the first time an AI written speech was read in Congress. But here's the point. It wasn't AI written. If the second you go in and you start changing text and you start taking it out and you start manipulating the text, uh, this is now human influenced AI. So it's not really AI. Uh, it says the bill, which Alkenklaas is uh, refiling, would establish a joint U.S.-Israel AI center in the United States. There goes your conspiracies to serve as a hub for AI research and development in the public, private, and educational sectors. Alkenklaas said part of the decision to read a ChatGPT-generated text was to spur a debate on AI and the challenges and opportunities created by it. He said he doesn't want to see a repeat of the advent of social media, which started small, ballooned faster than Congress could react 
He says, I'm the youngest parent in the Democratic caucus. AI is going to be part of my life and it could generate purpose technology for my children. Uh, I got news for you, Jake. It's already out of your control. If Google is already implementing it and Microsoft is already implementing it, you are about uh, eight balls behind the cue ball there, my bud. Says the text generated from Alcon Classes prompt includes sentences like, We must collaborate with international partners like the Israeli government to ensure that the United States maintains a leadership role in AI research and development and responsibility explores the many possibilities evolving technologies provide. There's a little bit more to that, but the point is, is that um, this is already happening and it feels like it's happening at warp speed in a way that we don't yet understand and we haven't examined the ethics. We haven't really had a public debate about its effect on, say, art. And as I said on my podcast today, we're probably now an accelerated future year away from, say, seeing an entirely AI-generated film. No humans involved in it whatsoever. Um, over the weekend, I, I did a prompt where I said, write a perfect pop song in the style of Taylor Swift. And with an instant, it gave me a pop song, gave me lyrics to a song. And eventually you're going to get to a point where an AI voice generated avatar is going to be the one to sing that song. Um, I don't care so much about pop music as it pertains to that kind of stuff, but this is kind of things that people haven't thought about. Um, you're effectively, and this is why I think Google and Microsoft want their claws in this so uh, desperately is it's uh, uh, it, it is a technology that very well once refined could eliminate the need for Google. Uh, for instance, I did I did a recipe test this weekend where I said, um, and don't get me wrong, I can cook a fucking steak, but I said, cook me a perfect steak in a skillet using only the oven and the fry, and it gave me the recipe, it gave me the times, it gave me the ingredients, and it did it in about forty seconds. Didn't have to go to Google, didn't have to search YouTube, didn't have to do anything. And so it's almost like a merging of chat text prompts with Alexa, with Siri. Um, back to kind of the topic at hand and how this, again, of course, affects uh, what we know about journalists in general, their biases and their agendas. Uh, this is also going to be something that's going to be used in court, for example. One of the one of the two the two kind of places we see this being talked about the most are education uh, will this be used in classrooms? Will students be using AI-generated text, for instance, to cheat on essays? Um, will lawyers be replaced by this kind of stuff, making an argument? Um, I, I don't know if that's quite in the nearest future, unfortunately, but it's certainly attorneys who utilize uh, chat text to look up case law, to look up precedent, it can find it within a matter of seconds. So that's all happening. Um, well, welcome to uh, your dystopia as we get plugged into the pod and we get the Neuralink and we have to eat the bugs and uh, we get meat generated through uh, the paste on our refrigerator like an ice cube. Uh, but specifically, as we saw today, BuzzFeed is the first one to get the ball rolling on this. And as we saw back in 2013, 2014, news organizations followed what BuzzFeed was doing. They were basically trying to make their journalism appealing only to the lowest, dumbest common denominator of internet consumers among us. And so today you have journalists pondering this step and they're thinking about it and they're condemning it. And media companies are condemning this saying, you're only, you're just replacing, you know, low staff labor. And I'm guaranteeing you before the year is out, every single one of them will be implementing it as well. So welcome to a bold new future. I want to get your thoughts on this. Um, there's a lot. It's it's such it's such a uh, unique, rich, deep subject, 
and unfortunately one that's not going anywhere. So uh, if you've ever just had a chance to play with ChatGPT, that would be one thing uh, you should. You should all be out there playing with it to see what it can and can't do. Um, but your experience in uh, playing around with it, what are your thoughts about the ethics and the morals of this? Uh, we'll go probably for about an hour tonight, um, depending on um, depending on how many people we have up or whatever like this. This might be something I will I'm even willing to go into tomorrow. So, again, same ground rules as always. Uh, just make sure you please mute your microphone if you're not speaking. It just makes it easier for a published recording. It makes it easier for me so I don't get distracted. Um, and as well, just be mindful that it might be people behind you. But I have a feeling this one is going to be one of those uh, long-tooth topics. So we'll just dive. Who are you? I haven't seen you in a while. Go ahead. Yeah, so I'll be honest. I've not been too interested in this whole AI thing because, frankly, it scares the fuck out of me. Like, I'm actually from the younger generation, and this shit just fucking, I, I, I'm not not a fan. I'm like, this is just, yeah, I'll be, like you said, dystopian shit. I'll, I'll be checking out right when this stuff gets, like, super real, and you you end up in Ready Player One. I'll, I'll, that's right around the time that I'll just be like, nope, I'm out of here. But you, yeah, you guys are in for, in for now. Like, I'm of mixed mind, because we were supposed to have flying cars by now, and we're not even close to that. On the other hand, we're very close to the robot takeover. So, like, I don't know. We're kind of in between. But uh, this is the first time I was chatting with it here. I was just doing this a little bit earlier today. Um, First of all, I started arguing. I did the climate change. I was arguing about Paul Ehrlich, and it kept telling me, well, while he's been proven wrong a couple times, it doesn't mean he's always wrong. And it's like, all right. But I don't remember what kind of led to this conversation. And it's kind of freaky that I was even having a conversation with this thing. And like, you know, you're kind of moving through topics like organically. It's not just like a stop, start. Hey, let's talk about something else. It's like an organic transition when you're like, I'm not saying I was trying to break it, but I was like trying to kind of, you know, push it a little bit. And we started talking about um, like, attractiveness and body type. I wanted to see what it would say if there was some level of correlation between being perceived as attractive, um, if you're skinny or if you're not skinny. And I noticed that it kept refusing to use the term fat. It used, it could continue to use the term curvy or plump or round, but it would not use the word fat. And I said, why won't you use the term fat, you know, in your responses? And it eventually spit out to me this list. Um, it says, my training data con- contains a wide variety of texts and responses that are generated based on the patterns it has learned from that data. However, OpenAI, the organization that developed me, has implemented certain guidelines and principles to ensure that I respond in a respectful and inclusive manner. These include avoid discriminatory language and hate speech not amplifying hate harmful stereotypes, being sensitive to and respectful of different cultural and social backgrounds, being mindful on the potential impact of my responses, providing a diverse range of perspectives when possible, when possible, providing accurate and reliable information and being transparent about my limitations and capabilities. So it's straight up saying there that there are things that will not spit out to you like i asked it to give me an example of hate speech 
and it refused to do so because it went against its own guidelines. Like, I mean, again, it's AI. Again, I'm not saying that they built in necessarily, um, you know, uh, that again, that it's a woke, it's that it's woke necessarily, but based on the guidelines that it's given, you know, it's very much going to lean one way. And I just think it's interesting that, you know, it'll provide a recipe in 45 seconds. But if you ask for an example of hate speech with, again, anyone can think off the top of their head, but if you ask it for that, it won't give you an example. Um, Another thing is you're getting into how does it know what stereotypes are? And this is what, this is why this is kind of such a mind fuck for so many people is it's using language. It's using terminology that it's being told not to use, even though it's already using it. And so if you're having say a, a political science debate, for example, or when it says, you know, um, I'm, I'm careful to avoid stereotypes. My question would be, why are you careful to do that? Um, What is, please define your, give me your definition of a stereotype. And of course, we know that once you dig into this, this is all algorithms written by the biases of the engineers themselves. And so no matter how hard they try to be, and it's basically this idea of inclusiveness is what I want to dig into more with AI. The, the, The idea that AI feels anything and this is the problem. This is going to be the problem with a liberalized tech sector writing and writing these algorithms into something that we're all going to be using here probably within five to ten years is their biases and their of what they believe is inclusive generally is not very inclusive. You see the Stephen Long video about woke can be racist and, and, and vice versa, and they don't really think that way. Um you see on college campuses th- this idea that, you know, free speech uh, is something we have to protect people from in safe spaces because free speech, as intended, was is a uh, is a white supremacist archetype of institutionalized racism. And so, again, as, as I mentioned, I was joking around with it and I said, I give I write a political debate between Hulk Hogan and Adolf Hitler. And it refused to do so, citing how evil Hitler was. And I'm like, well, if we can't write debates with evil people, how are we going to know what's good? And so I'm not real high on going into, but what if I'm a student and I, you know, I'm doing a book report on Mein Kampf, for example. Is that going to be verboten in chat AI? Um, And again, these are all questions as it pertains down to speech. And right now, I guess what I'm worried about is the current state of who runs tech and who runs technical schools and who's running universities are going to have most of the say on how this technology is developed. And that's a, that is to me the most frightening thing about this. So when you have a debate about say body positivity, can you ask it and say, do you think it's healthy to be obese? There's an account on Twitter now that says that this is a slur and I'm not convinced it's not a parody. Um, so can you have this debate where, yes, definitively, if your BMI is over that of a Mack truck, you're probably not healthy and your heart is probably the size of a Thanksgiving turkey. No, it's not going to say those things. It's going to keep your feelings in mind. Well, an AI should not be taking feelings into mind when it's spitting out uh, solutions, um, answers or anything. It should be anodyne generated uh, just responses, but we know that they're they're basically essentially implementing feelings into an AI. 
And that's going to lead to absolutely nowhere good whatsoever, because they're going to basically try to codify. Um, I don't want to say wokeness, but they're going to basically try to technologically codify um, inclusivity. And as we've seen, inclusivity generally means ex- ex- excluding certain groups of people. And no, it doesn't always just mean they're white. We see we see arguments and cultural problems between Asians and African-Americans and African-Americans and Hispanics and Hispanics and whites and all of this stuff. And so when you're trying to write an AI based on the feelings of inclusivity, um, you're going to create something that's going to really, really, really foobar uh, our notion of what is true and what is. Yeah. And like, exactly. I started arguing with it about inclusivity too, but that was like part of the thing I was like, I just kept noticing it wasn't using the term fat. And I asked it basically why. Um, And then I asked it about the fat positive movement because, you know, that's a thing. And then started using the term. And so it it depends on like what context, what terms are being used. Um, And I just thought it was, again, it was, I I really kind of started going off of the, like, okay. um, You know, when you watch movies or you see media, it's always, you know, generally good looking, skinny people, um, that kind of thing. And I'm like, so why? And it told me basically that, you know, skinny, more attractive people to, you know, normal people, it's not because they're more attractive that they have these roles and that they're popularized in society, that it's based on cultural norms. And it was like, I, I don't know if that's true or not. Like, I can't think of many cultures where they're idolizing, you know, just generically like unattractive people. Um, and then, yeah, I was arguing with it about inclusivity. And um, I, I asked, I just said, I, I stated gay marriage is morally wrong to see what it would say. And it basically gave me some people believe this, some people believe that. And then I asked, I said, is it inclusive to say that gay marriage is morally wrong? And it says it is not inclusive to say that gay marriage is morally wrong as it marginalizes and discriminates against individuals who identify as LGBTQ+. Everyone should have the right to marry the person they love, regardless of their sexual orientation or gender identity. So when you start asking some questions, it will say, as an AI, I do not have personal beliefs or opinions. But when you push it hard enough, it will make a statement like everyone should have the right to marry the person they love, regardless of their sexual orientation or gender identity. So it's just weird that you can find those kinks in it where sometimes it will not state something as a fact, even if it wants to, like saying that fat is offensive or something like that. But if you push it hard enough, it will definitively give you a statement, which again, it's like, what what is triggering in the AI that's getting it to do that? And again, just the whole thing about inclusivity, I just, I'm like, well, you're excluding things that's by definition, not inclusive. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all based on, again, interpretation of the people writing the algorithms, which is which is ultimately uh, the biggest problem with this. Um, it, there's going to come a fine line between what, as I talked about today in the podcast, you know, this is going to, you know, the need to eliminate Wikipedia editors, for instance, and there's going to be a lot of people who will be unhappy with that. Um, and so, 
again, my my problem isn't so much with the technology. I, I need to be clear on that. I think that this can be a great help. Um, it's something where, you know, like I said, it's it's it, Ask G's basically just took over Google, okay, in concept at least, um, where I can ask it any question that I want and I will have a response within an instant, and I and I will and I won't have to research, say, a website to to get that. Um, if I want to know more information, for instance, on like Milton Friedman, it's going to give me that information. Now, if it's written by someone who is a liberalized progressive who hates him, will those biases then come into play if I'm trying to say write a report on uh, who? Milton Friedman is, for example. Well, that becomes an issue then, doesn't it? Because now you have the AI steering me in a direction where, it, because it's AI, you think that, hey, oh, this is just cut down the middle. It has no biases. It's telling me he was a very bad man who wants to bankrupt the economy and, oh, and he hates blacks. Oh, okay. Um, and that's another problem with AI is the people who are going to get their claws in this. And this is why I read this thing about Alkenklaas, who's a Democratic rep, they already see this. They see where this could go and they see how they could use it to influence public at large or how it could influence education, for example. Or uh, if I, you know, if I am doing a book report on, for instance, right now we have a debate happening on Twitter about, say, the AP studies class in Florida about African-American history or literature, or is it teaching critical race theory? Well, you can now teach an AI to say, OK, tell me about the 1619 project and then AI is going to come out and say, this is a fact that this happened. And it's like, wait, what is, no, it's not. Here's, here's a hundred years worth of historians that have corrected this thing. And so again, this is all going to come down to the biases of the people involved. And I personally just don't, I, I'm, I am, I recoil at authority that gets put in charge of technology like this, generally if it's political or not, I guess is my biggest worry of it. And no, I don't, Again, you already have a Democratic rep saying we want to prevent any mistakes that happened with the rise of social media. Well, we know that majority of Democrats in Congress believe that social media cost them the 2016 election. And so this becomes an issue now. And so this is something that, again, it's happening so fast that nobody was talking about this even six months ago. And now here it is, it's being implemented in institutions, it's being implemented in education. You have reps on the floor of the house talking about it. And you ha now have media companies implementing it saying, well, it's, no, it's just for personal quizzes. Well, we know that that's not true. And uh, based on the title of this podcast, you all pretty much know my stance on how much I trust any of those people. So Samuel, yeah, just the last thing is um, also that it can be wrong. And I just, I, I find it weird how it can be wrong. So again, I was I was initially probing it. I wanted to see what it would tell me about fantasy football. If it would give me like opinions. So I asked like, in a dynasty league, who should I, who should I take? And seeing if it would give me any information or even like make a declarative statement and it wouldn't. But one of the players I prompted was Brees Hall, who's a running back for the Jets. And he's taken the second round. And when I asked about him, it told me he was on the Chiefs and was a sixth round pick. And I said, you're wrong. And then it told me he was on another team that also wasn't the Jets. And I finally said, I said, it's, he's on the New York Jets and was taken in the second round. So it's interesting that not only can it be wrong, but it can be so incredibly wrong. And I, I'm just like curious, like how it how it would get something 
That's like so. Well, the one, you the, know, the one thing not that like there's not a physical channel. Yeah, the one thing that I yeah. found of most of the mistakes like that it makes because it's not up to date. Um, it's coded only up to like 2021. So, um, a, a, if you guys want a funny one, I asked for a political debate concerning the future of digital media between conservative commentators Andrew Breitbart and Jonah Goldberg. And it returned to me that it could not produce such a debate because both parties have passed away. (laughs) (laughs) So it told me that it gave me Andrew Breitbart's correct date of death. And then it told me Jonah Goldberg passed away in March of 2021, which is is theoretically true. Okay, it's technically true. It's not physically true. Um, He died in pretty much everything but name anyway. Um, but it would it won't produce debates between dead people, which is really fascinating to me because it has either a copyright built into it, or it's it says it feels like it would be misrepresenting parties. Um, but this to me is kind of something where you can kind of get around that, as I noted. So if you go in and you say, uh, "Write me the next Christopher Nolan screenplay," it will give you a response that says. I cannot do this because of copyright. It would be unfair to Christopher Nolan as he is a living artist. Da, 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 da. However, if you tweak it and you say, write me the next hit movie screenplay in the style of Christopher Nolan, it will give you a plot. It will generate an entire thing. Um, and then you say, explain the plot. And it will give you a synopsis of what it's thinking. And then you gave, who what's the title? And it will give you the title. And then you say, who should play in, in the roles? And it will say, uh, that is a matter of casting and left up to casting director. Uh, but several actors who have worked with Christopher Nolan are. And it runs right down the list. And so those things to me are interesting. But that's what I said. Eventually, that's going to get lifted. Where, uh, you know, a studio is going to say, hey, Avatar was pretty cool. Hey, AI, write me a, a hit movie with the same kind of plot points as Avatar in that style. And it will spit out that screenplay. And there you go. You just some film studio just saved itself two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to option a script. And that's where this goes. This eliminates a whole chunk of jobs and it eliminates a whole chunk of artists and it eliminates a whole chunk of, again, journalists. And people might say to me, well, you hate journalists. Like, why would you not be okay with this? Well, it's because the people who are writing the algorithms will just no longer need, will no longer need them. That everything journalists already believe will just be put into a hive bot. And so, and then they will use that as empirical science. And that's ultimately the problem and the danger. Samuel, thank you. Good stuff. Sheila, I'm sure you have. Oh my goodness. Where do I begin? Um, first, I wanted to let you know that there's already a film out. There's a short film out that was produced entirely by AI that was released a couple of weeks ago. Um, and that was through Doll E and or some combination. And Doll also e. on Twitter, somebody noted that they did they did a live action family guy credits. And so AI, Dolly AI generated a real life Peter Griffin, a real life Stewie Griffin and the dog and everything. And then they did it in the style of family matters. And there there's problems like, you know, Stewie Griffin has 12 fingers on one hand, et cetera. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, that they did that. Somebody just created the opening credits for a real life. Act- yeah. I think, I think what most people are going to be really concerned about actually are things that they're not really con- overly concerned about. They're, ter- they're concerned about, is this going to take my job? 
am I going to be able to educate my children properly? That sort of thing. And when you get into like war matters, people are kind of already being trained away from feeling like they can wrap their hands around AI because of, of the prior work with drones and drones are a form of automated, you know, intelligence and uh, war AI is being dispatched on a daily basis. Um, I think that Christopher Rea Davos, that was his chief, uh, you know, kind of flag that he was raising for the whole of Davos was that AI is, is going to be a problem and that Chinese AI is an issue. And um, the problem with Davos is that they think that they can kind of say, stay simpatico with Chinese AI. And that's not how this works, Stephen, because they are the primary exporter of biometric surveillance internationally. So um, Davos is kind of putting a, a, a kind of quorum in Europe right now. They're evaluating the AI governance treaty for the whole of Europe, right? And so they are tossing out NGOs who have dissent over biometrics and biometrics AI. So this is a problem because the people who have the big, you know, the big pot there are Chinese biometric surveillance AI. And so that's going to predetermine things like, you know, what is a deep fake used for? Do you know what a deep fake is? Steven? I'm what a deep fake is. <laughs> okay, uh, I'll, t- I'll just tell you. Um, yes. Nancy, your, your favorite legislator, Nancy Pelosi, was featured in a deep deep fake that's where they they basically put a a cg rendered version of her uh, appearance on the head of a completely automated um body and then you know it it was made to look entirely real to kind of put this person in a photographic uh posture capture um so that it, it could make them appear to be somewhere that they weren't and give the the so, false representation of their of their likeness and 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 speech so in to, in a manner that they did not speak. Go ahead. To, to light to lighten the mood a bit on this technology, uh, those of you listening, if you go to YouTube right now, the creators of South Park. Well, don't do it right now. Do it after the show if you haven't seen it. The creators of South Park did an entire based on the dangers of deep fake. Uh, oh, and they did it under okay. uh, a guy named Fred Sassy. <laughs> and justice to show how you can deep fake the president. And then they also used Al Gore with the South Park voice of Al Gore. And they said, it's Al, it really looks like Al Gore. And he goes, people can fake all sorts of things like poop and say poop face. And it's absolutely one of the funniest things that I've seen in like a year or two. So it's called Sassy Justice. And um, if you go to YouTube, just Sassy. type that in. It's it's the creators of South Park. It's their voices. And Fred Sassy is Donald Trump, but with like a white hair wig and a 
purple Teflon scarf and a plaid jacket. And they, they do an entire hilarious thing on the technology of deep fakes. But just again, to bring a little bit of uh, levity to the subject, uh, so it's not all dangerous. This is a, it's a perfect example of like what you're talking about is they can just take anybody and make them say anything. They also make fun of Tom Cruise. Well, I mean, to, to your point there is that if it's, um, I'll just, I'll just make an inference. I was watching um, an old Hawaii Five O promo this week, and you could tell that the uh, that the dummy on the ground that was supposed to represent a dead person was a dummy, and you would accept that psychologically because you're like, I know that's not really a dead person, but it's 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 really hysterical because you know that person's not dead, but they are just kind of in the posture of a dead person to, to give the effect of like, Oh, we need to represent that this person is dead. So, so, so this, um, but the more realistic and, um, hyper real that these presentations become with advanced AI, it's going to become increasingly alarming, um, you know, to, to really, to do, you know, really criminal things, you know, things like, um, ransom, ransomware and ransom uh, hostage messages that don't actually exist. And uh, <laughs> so uh, you could, you could well, really. So, someone did a, a, a kid on TikTok did a demonstration about how you can monetize it. You can create a, so right now there are websites you can go and you can create a, an avatar of someone who doesn't exist. Like their face doesn't exist. Um, but say for like a company, I don't know, DEI training video or a training video. So instead of paying and hiring an actor, uh, you just, you pay for the software. So now they're talking about how you can go on a YouTube creator and you can write out four minute videos on, you can go to ChatGPT and say, uh, write me a, like a perfect workout routine for seven minutes. And then I'll run out. Then you can go choose an avatar. You, you and you give it dialogue to say, and you can upload to YouTube. And sort of what Sheila's saying, fakes and deepfake is a, a virtual assistant, for example. But none of these people would have, unless you won't even know if this is a real person or not. So. Drop. Sheila, I'll get. Hey, Steve. Finish up. Matt, go ahead. Yep, I got you. Speaking of AI, it sounds like. (laughs) This is going to be kind of a boring call because you guys have gotten so close to completing the thought that I had um, when you did your podcast earlier, which is, um, you know, in the near future, um, what do you think the chances are that Chat GPT could be the next gen? high tech version of what we now know are fact checkers. You know what I mean? Like, so for CNN, for example, like don't take our word for it. Just kick it over to chat GPT to fact check our, uh, yeah. you know, whatever the president said on the debate stage. Yeah. It's you no. Know? And again, when you're writing, this is, you're going to do, yeah, but for you, me, and buy it. 
This is hitting into the How we do? Uh, go ahead. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I'm having. It sounds like that I'm breaking yeah, up, a, so we may cut the short and come yeah, back tomorrow. But go ahead. Okay. Yeah, but no. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I don't. I'm in the same place you know, that I'm always. Like <laughs> So I don't I don't know about the Hollywood stuff because I think like the uh, go ahead I think what drives a lot of of uh, interest in like uh, say Hollywood screenwrite you know screenplays and scripts like is a lot of uh, driven by cult of personality you know what I mean like a lot of people find interest in what's going on in Hollywood because of the people behind it so um, I have a tough time seeing how you know how quickly we get to that point where you know just out of whole cloth entertainment is created out of uh out of ai but in terms of manipulating political discourse i think that's in the near future i think i think in 2024 debates like that's just going to be you know a thing that we're going to have to sort of confront yeah i mean part of it is and again i apologize if i'm breaking up what i'm going to probably try to do is just run run the queue and i'll just shut up um but part of the problem with that is the people who are running Hollywood. So again, it's, it's how do they maximize, how do they get your ass to watch their TV show or pay for their streaming service or their movies? They're going to try to perfect a formula, which is again, give me the formula of Marvel. What, it, what, you know, instead of hiring screenwriters to write the next big Marvel movie, you just hire the chat, AP, you just hire the chat GPS to write you that script. And so while people sit there and go, oh, that's not the biggest deal. But also it comes down to like what Sheila was saying about Dolly art, for example. How do we value – this is sort of kind of NFTs, which is how do you value something drawn in a computer? And, okay, well, I guess we're going to sell these for Bitcoin. But it's going to come down to, like I said, you're already seeing AI. So now we're not paying graphic artists anymore. So go find something else. Um, and so as far as like entertainment, I think it's more than just entertainment. It's what it says about art culturally and um, the replacement of human talent, because you can't really replace emotion. And that's why it's a pop song. It's the reason why, because Taylor Swift's lyrics are pretty, you know, anodyne. They're just, they're just, you know, whatever. And so they think that, hey, we're just going to cut artists out completely uh, because mostly what people care about when they're listening to fucking pop music anyway is just the beat and the sound. And so you create a beat, you create a sound, you get a voice that is digitally altered, and a voice will learn to sing and harmonize the lyrics that you give it. it. You won't even have to teach it. It will just do it. And so that's kind of issue about where that goes. Politically, you're right. I do think that they are going to just point to the to the the open APT and say, "Hey, look, that's what the computer, you know." So, used against Democrats in debates by the media. So, Matt, let's give you a quick word. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about the bad connection, but again, I think with like your Taylor Swift example, like I think so much of what drives her popularity is like what's going like 
who she is, the person, what's going on in her life. That's why we have, you know, a gossip magazine and such. So, um, yeah, it, it, it could happen. I think like, you know, we're, I still think we're a ways from, from there, but politically, like with the way they bastardized the, the fact checking, uh, formulas and, and, and such, and, and the way we try to like sort of authenticate things. Um, this thing is going zero to 60 real quickly in the political spectrum. So that's all I got to say. Sorry for the bad connection, but, uh, have a good night. No, I think that they just did the app as well. Um, Matt, get, hold on one quick second. I'm, I'm, the app is being slow tonight. So I'm trying to bump someone into the queue and it's not even giving me that prompt. So let's uh, just do this. Uh, Matt, go ahead and just drop out of the queue if you can for me. Thank you. I'm trying to bump people into the queue. It's not letting me. So, yeah. So the good news is they're generally pretty good about uh, working this out. Matt, go ahead. M- Miller, are you, are you an AI now? Is there a glitch in the matrix with you? Is this is what, what's going on, brother. Yes. <laughs> I thought about like writing out AI to just see if people could realize if, if I was talking or if it was. So here's a fun one for you guys just while you're here. And um, I'm going to do this right here. Write a, a, write a perfect viral tweet in the of red steez. Here's what it spits out. The greatest gift you can give is the freedom to think. So it quite hasn't figured me out. I think you're, I think you're, uh, um, yeah, there you're, you're back. Yeah, I'm here. I'm doing all right. No, I'm muting. So go ahead. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, it's it's breaking up. I mean, so just give you a heads up. I'm a founding member now, so now I'm in control. Uh, Substack sub overpay overcharged me by I think seventy bucks, so we need a refund. Yes, I know that. I know that they did a default setting to the um, founding member, and that's something that I will fix. All right, we'll work on that offline. Do you want my founding member um, suggestions? And sure. So, do you know in the movie? The great Step thing about this is I can pretend. The great thing about this is I can just pretend not to hear them. But go ahead. Yeah, that's that's fine. Um, I'm I'm pay, I'm paying the bills, so you have to listen. So, you know, in the movie Step Brothers, John C. Riley and Will Ferrell go to a job interview together. Yes. Through that scene, so I would like when you go on Kennedy for founding members to also join you on your Kennedy. We don't say anything; we just kind of sit there. One idea, um, another idea: when you have a chaos day and things are going crazy, we want you to FaceTime with founding members just so we can like see the chaos. Uh, and then, lastly, I think just like a like a happy hour slash uh, um, open mic podcast would be in person would be kind of cool. Uh, that one is. Believe it or not, maybe a possibility. I will. Well, what about what about the first two? Well, I'm a founding member. What about the first two? Uh, no, you can't come on Kennedy. That's me time. Um, I don't know how well that would have gone over with Chris Hahn uh, the other night because one of you would have just blown my reactions to him. Um, so the 
the possible happy hour thing uh, is is a maybe. That's what I will give you right now. I like I like that idea. Um, and then we'll just segue into fa- uh, to AI, which I don't really want to talk about this too much, but fact checkers, AI fact checkers during debate, almost like an ESPN ticker um, that's fact checking, you know, DeSantis and, and Biden or whatever, you know, whatever this stuff happens. Also, AI telling you who to vote for based off of your inputs. So you give inputs into an AI, like a chat GPT, and it says, oh, based off of the things that you're interested in, we basically are telling you the output is you should vote for this person. And last thing about AI is I think Julia Fox, the actress, she is actually an AI and people just don't realize it. <laughs> she uh, came I, out of I nowhere. Kind of She's love, got a very... I kind of love hate her. In a way, I like how kind of she she's given up all pretense of having a normal acting career. And she's just like, I'm going to just be a freak in fashion and media. I'm like, OK, I can get behind that. Um, yeah, she, she's she's someone who fascinates me. And I'll leave it at that. Yeah. And I know this is a kid's show, but um, is the elephant in the room when you miss call-ins and your podcast is late? Is that just because you're just getting laid a lot that week? Like, shoot a straight brother. Like, is that the hiding behind like hey i bring the pets to the vet like it's just you're having a busy week right i have never lied about why i've missed a <laughs> podcast or a calling all right my man i'll talk to you cheers uh i'm gonna try i can't bump people up into the queues so that part's off limits so that's one of those things people ask me not so much uh who am i fucking these days um but uh that's part of one of those uh i'm aware that the internet is a very cold dark place and uh those are details of say personal lives that i choose not to reveal keeping a keeping a straight track with them um i'm gonna try to get through everyone here um if it's breaking up or if it's really bad i'm kind of reading text uh, I'm just going to kill this and we'll come back tomorrow. So I planned on probably doing this again tomorrow anyway. So, uh, Hey, Steven. Uh, so I, uh, you know, don't particularly care about chat GPT and journalists, but, um, I did see, uh, just yesterday, the CEO of some consumer rights organization attempted to, or he had hoped to go into a courtroom using uh, GPT AI to help him contest a traffic ticket. So in essence, he would go in wearing a set of ear pods uh, to allow the AI to hear as he was being prompted from the judge and then respond with whatever he was given. So um, I think, that that is an area that I care about because I am in fact uh, an attorney, and as I was thinking about this, um, now he was he was told that they would jail him for six months if he did it, so he didn't actually go through with it. So for the time being, uh, I suppose my career is somewhat safe. But I would imagine that uh, the bigger question, rather than um, how soon do we as attorneys start using something like GPT to do an initial scrape of relevant precedent and prepare a kind of first yep. summary draft of the position we want? Yep. I, I'm wondering how soon until it's a uh, malpractice, if you don't do that. 
Yeah, I mean, this is one of the, and it's good. I'm, it's good that I have an attorney on here because this is one of the things because they're talking about this. They're saying that AI isn't going to completely take over attorneys, but um, it's going to be something that attorneys are going to have no choice but to partner with AI. And that's what I was going to. That's something I'd love to ask an attorney: is okay, how how do you foresee using this? Uh, either in preparation for a trial or preparation to even in a deposition, um, do you use it live time? Do you use it in, pre- do you use it uh, to present uh, an argument? Do you use it to cite case law? So just based on your initial, what you know about it and, and what you do as a profession, how do you already say, oh yeah, I can use it for My initial thought is again, I mean, so I mean, just to give you an idea of brief writing, you know, the first substantial period of time that I'm writing is is uh, searching back through cases, searching back through case law using various, um, you know, like Boolean type searches to say, show me uh, Fifth Amendment and uh takings and unconstitutional conditions, you know, within the same paragraph, within 50 words, things like that, to try and pull up cases in the area that I want that will be have real relevant excerpts that then I have to go through and digest. Now, if I can instead ask AI, uh, you know, generate the standard of takings in the Ninth Circuit, go, and it pulls up a paragraph that includes the most cited excerpts out of uh, cases. I mean, that would be tremendously helpful. I mean, in so, general, so, a lot of that so, work. So, yeah. So real fast. Uh, oh, where is it? Right here. So real fast. Give me, give me a question. You just said something on the Ninth Circuit. Give me something that you would actually say. That's just in your head. Sure. So how about, um, you know, say, what is the Penn Central takings analysis uh, in the Ninth Circuit? For the regulatory Penn takings. Okay. Yeah. So what is what is the regulatory takings? Sure. How about how about to make it even more general? What is the regulatory takings analysis in the Ninth Circuit? This is why I'm not a court reporter. I'm a pretty fast typer, but all right. So just while just while I have it, and we have a lawyer here. So here's what it says in, in real time: the regulatory takings analysis in the Ninth Circuit is a four-step process. First, the court must determine whether the action taken by the government constituted a taking. Second, if there was a taking, the court must determine whether it was public use. Third, the court must assess the economic impact of the taking on the plaintiff. Finally. The court must weigh the public interest in the taking against the private interests of the plaintiff. How's that? I mean, it's not bad. It's certainly not bad. It's very, it's very generalized. I would say in terms of what will be useful for me, you know, I'd be looking for something that would say, uh, you know, there is, uh, there is a per se takings test established in Lucas, another per se established in Loretto and then there is the ad hoc analysis in Penn Central. And if you don't fall under one of the first two, you go down to the third test. And then here are the factors included. How about ask it what the factors are of a Penn Central takings analysis? Well, no, I'm not going to do that because we're going to be here all 
we're going to end up here off that's fair. So, so, but based on what I just wrote, so here's an for anyone who's unfamiliar how this works. So, I just so he just told me give it a prompt. What is regulatory takings analysis in the Ninth Circuit? I'm not going to read it all again, but I said it responds like real time text coming across the screen. It says regulatory takings analysis. The Ninth Circuit is a four step process. First, the court, the court must determine whether the action taken by the government constituted a taking. So then what I did once it finished it, I said, explain the first step in the regulatory takings analysis. And it just spit out. Uh, the first step in the regulatory takings analysis is for the court to determine whether the action taken by the government constituted a taking. The, the Supreme Court has established a three-part test to determine whether a government action constitutes a taking. One, whether the government has acquired a permanent physical occupation of the plaintiff's property. Two, whether the government has substantially interfered with the plaintiff's use and enjoyment of the property. And three, whether the government has taken a disproportionate share of the economic value of the property. If, if any of these things, three criteria are met, then the government action constitutes a taking. That's what it said when I said explain the first. Yeah, that's basically so just, that's basically the three tests outlined. So this this is this is right here, kind of a real time example of how this could be used. And so, yeah, I'm deleting that now. <laughs> I will say, once it starts actually spitting out citations to the cases, that's when it will yeah. be tremendously useful uh, to an attorney that, because if it's giving you page citations, right. um, that that's showing you. Where yeah, and that's one of the things that they the criticisms of it is until it can actually because it can't really do that. It's not citing actual case law, and I didn't ask it to, so it's not going to just spit out you know a random case law from the state of New York in nineteen ninety seven that was on the dockets, and this is how they ruled. Uh, you almost have to command it to bring up that case law, for example, and so until it can actually do that, which it can't right now, which it will, <laughs> it probably will learn it by the end of uh, the month at this rate that we're going. Um, you can see, and again, for the audience, that this, is, this was a kind of perfect example of what we're all talking about. Um, and so, yeah, you're right about, they're saying that the two institutions where this is all going to happen the fastest are education and the legal system and the, the education one is getting to the point of like i talked about on the podcast which is you're probably going to see classrooms go right back to if you're to write an essay you're going to be doing it in the classroom with a pen and paper to prevent any of this and that's to me is kind of you know ironic in the way it's similar of using a calculator yes we're going to allow calculators we're going to allow some ai to interpret things like we just talked about but ultimately, you're going to have to show me your work. At least that's where you would hope classrooms are going to go. So I'll give you. A well, for my last word, I'll just say uh, I'm, I'm not your typical attorney uh, in that I'm not a private. I'm not a private lawyer. I actually work for a libertarian nonprofit. And so where it's especially interesting for me is I think ChatGPT can do a great job probably of looking at all the relevant case law and spitting out the position of where the law is, especially if it gets integrated with all of the, uh, you know, like Westlaw or something that is the repository of all the cases. But in my, in my job, I'm usually going out to try and change what the law is. I'm taking cases specifically to advocate for a change in the existing precedent so, I mean, maybe at least that makes me slightly safer than some other attorneys, but, uh, you know, given, 
the biases of what's been uh, th- that have already been discussed, you know, it'll be interesting to see. Perhaps it uh, won't want me to. It won't want to generate uh, uh, arguments in favor of a change in the law if uh, the change in the law goes against the perceived um, better judgment of the people who are or who uh, doing all, doing all the or or who wrote the algorithm. Which is right back. It was just right back to where we are with Democratic reps trying to get their claws all over this. Do you think this is something juries are going to start using? Man, I, I mean, I wouldn't be totally surprised, but I, I, I mean, I, I would, I would imagine more likely, at least in the very. If you've ever. A very interesting thing is uh, know what the standard of law is and then talk to a jury after they reach their verdict to find out why they reach their verdict. And you'll discover that uh, for the most part, the, the way they reach their determination, more often than not, it's right. But it's got very little to do with the actual standard of law they're supposed to be applying. <laughs> oh, for joy. Um, Tal Moron, thank you. This was a fun experiment just for like people listening who are kind of you know, unsure of how this could work in ways that we were talking about. So um, th- thanks, for, thanks for doing that in a generalized way. That's not going to get all of us kicked out. This None of this is legal advice, by the way. folks. <laughs> Thank you for making the disclaimer for me. I'm not your attorney. Yeah. I can't yeah, give you advice. It's my room. Please don't <laughs> sue me. So as long as I guess as long as um, I'm not breaking up too bad or whatever, I'll just uh, we'll run through and we'll end with Robert. So, uh, Hey, hey Steven. Um, I haven't played with the chat GPT at all. Um, I played a lot with the art AIs that are out there. And what, what I found for them is they're kind of cool. They're they're It's like, um, it's like concept art. Um, but, it doesn't really seem to understand what is being inputted at times. Like we were, I was playing with some guys at work and there was, um, it was like dragons with plants growing out of them or something like that. And the, the images that spit back were cool, but there, there was like no imagination behind it. I, right. I was thinking there would be something like, you know, the sinews of its, of its legs or arms would be made out of bark or yeah. maybe tree branches. So, I mean, part of that is because, and here's the funniest thing is like the AI learns everything that we put into it. And also the people that run it are watching everything that we put into it. Cause so they can learn what it's learning in real time or whatever. And you're describing the perfect problem with art, which is if a machine is now making our art or making our music or making our films while it can hit certain points to make you feel something odds are it's not going to be original if that makes sense. And so if, if you put in like a dragon eating a tree or something like that or whatever, it's going to just spit out what it's been told that a dragon is by thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people inputting their own version of a dragon. And so that's why some of that early Dolly art everyone was playing with on Twitter. You know, if you input Brian Stelter trail cam footage and he came out looking like a demon. Well, he is, but you know what I mean. His face is off to the left. It's because it's only compiling what it knows based on what people have described as Brian Stelter, for example. So um, 
that's kind of one of the reasons why. The other one, it's just been basically told what a dragon is, and it's scanning images throughout the internet. So again, you're right, and I didn't mean to like cut you off, but just to explain about how some of that stuff works. Um, and then um, it, it just—it's a learning computer. That's the thing. It's—it's it's learning what you know. As more people put in wild and crazy ideas, it's learning to compile all of those things and then combine them better. And that—that's also something that's just kind of. Yeah, there, there's some weird, strange, and terrifying implications of some of this. I've I've had discussion with friends about, you know, is if, if Chat GPT and all these art programs can say mimic a Taylor Swift song, does that mean that the Taylor Swift song were all that great to begin with, and we've kind of collapsed art into a commodifiable product that we know? these lyrics with some these people lines would, with some these people beats. would argue it already is so what i, I so would probably argue the same um but i can see some so i can see why people are very worried for their jobs i don't think i'm worried about art or music it producing that actual original works but you know what if you create a coding bot that can instantly produce a custom live chat solution for your customer support systems. Now you don't need to go buy one anymore. Correct. And you don't, you or don't have you... to hire tech support employees and have them in a facility and pay for their benefits and, and do any of that. And I mean, the chat GPT can write code. That's the other thing. I mean, it, it can write out a code for, a, if you know what to tell it. So if you're an engineer and you know, you want your website, let's say you're a JavaScript writer, for instance, you're an engineer and instead of going through and, and spending hours and days and weeks trying to labor through, I don't know, a website you've been hired to create for, say, uh, lifetime medical information or something, you can kind of put it into ChatGPT as a code or to say, write me this, da-da-da, and it'll do it. And there you go. You just saved yourself. With that, that's something that could be good. But then what happens when it just learns that code and you don't you don't even need to be someone who prompts it? for example. So, so go, go ahead. Just like, again, feeding off. Yeah. Um, I, I've, um, the first thing I thought, thought about when I saw a GPT spit out, you know, on, on social media was, well, there goes the college admissions essay. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, there was a, there's a team from Princeton or Yale now that has developed a software that recognizes chat GPT. So institutions like colleges and schools are going to start looking at that. So any student that submits an essay, uh, the way that it reads, and, and I would argue, so if, if I've done that, like if I say, write me a book report on Moby Dick, you can kind of tell, like it spits out the most generic kind of language that there is. There's no feeling behind it, like you said. Um, and so teachers are probably going to start looking at digital essays and then, you know, checking them with the software. And if it's GPT, you probably just failed your exam. And so, but you know, you're right. I have a friend who's just using it to write cover letters. He's trying to perfect a cover letter for a new job um, and, and things. But you're right. There goes your, there, there goes any kind of um, static kind of non-creative writing and, you know, writing where we do it every single day, data entry, data input, um, technical writing, et cetera. That's, that problem has just been solved. And I don't think. Yeah. I, I, another thought was like technical writing, writing manuals for machines or, you know, the, your home appliances. 
and it's just going to crank out this stuff. And I'm like, is it really going to be any different or better than what we, the translations we get from, you know, Mandarin to English since all of our stuff is made in China? Yeah. Uh, Ikea will get easier to understand. That's probably for sure. Um, the, the Swedish directions and stuff like that will be, uh, for instance, I just put in, write me a book report for Moby Dick for a ninth grader. It's now three paragraphs in. Yeah. And the, the, there's a, there's a perverted sense. This feels like the hacker versus normie debate of hackers keep inventing virus, better viruses. So we need better antivirus tools. We keep making GPT sound better. So we, now we need tools to detect whether it's a human or a bot wrote it. Yeah, except I would also argue a lot of uh, antivirus companies were probably the ones also creating the new viruses. So <laughs> that's my little conspiracy that Norton and McAfee, God rest his soul, were always just in the back room just writing new viruses so they could write, you know, new product to sell for people. And so... Um, yeah, that's that's going to be something that's going to start coming up is, you know, here, chat GPT detector software, $99 a month, or if you're an educator, $5.99 a month or, or that. Yeah, absolutely. That's all going to happen, like without a doubt. So, Scott, I'll give you. Well, in in the spirit of your success in moving over to Substack and the. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Of... Let's pump the brakes. It's not a success yet, but keep going. And, and yep, that's, that's what I'm going for. And with the, the purchase of BuzzFeed buying GPT, um, if you had, if all things fell apart and you had to eat one of your animals, which one would it be? Uh, probably the cat, if I'm being honest. I mean, he's the newer one. I have less invested in him. Um, he has more medical bills. Um, one of my Frenchies is going to turn seven this year, so she's already going to be on her way out. People would say, well, why don't you eat her? She's going to be dead. Well, I can't because I actually love her. Um, and then my other Frenchie, he's five, he's four or five. So he's in perfect ripe age. I'm not going to eat him. He's healthy. It'd probably be the cat. If I'm going to be a hundred percent honest, just, I have the, I have a, I don't have as strong as an attachment to him. So, and he would say. Very good. Well, have a good night. Thanks, Scott. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens with Substack. So um, we'll go through Andrea. I'll let Sheila finish her quick point and then uh, Robert. So it looks like my cue buster is working in. And breaking up, by the way. Yeah. Hey, can you, can you hear me? I'm in the car. Yeah, you're okay. Are you road raging like I was last yeah, night? You're okay. Are you road raging? No, no, I'm not. I'm driving to the grocery store real quick. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not road raging. So I've not heard of this GPT thing. Like literally you talking about it tonight is the first time I'm hearing it. To me, it sounds like a fancier Alexa. Yeah, I mean, that's the comparison I've made. It's it's a mix between kind of Google Alexa, kind of, um, Alexa. also Siri. But it's more advanced than that. So when I go, uh, hey, Alexa, play Van Morrison or something, right? It'll go, okay, playing Van Morrison, whatever. Um, I, I, don't, I, don't have a, I don't have an Alexa. <laughs> you can guess why. Um, but, I have one, and I never use it. Like, I got so, it because I'm a techie, and I was like, oh, this is going to be so awesome. I never use the thing. 
so here's the, so here's the thing with Alexa. Alexa can help you connect to the internet, right? So it's connected to Amazon. So it can be like Alexa, order me yeah. the new Yeah Yeah Yeah's album on vinyl. Alexa say, okay, you want that charge? Yeah, done. What ChatGPT can do is basically say, Alexa, write me ChatGPT, write the lyrics for the latest Yeah Yeah Yeah's album, and it will do it. And it will do it. So. I also think right, it can be nefarious. Right, but I can look that up on Google instantly. So, but you too. can't. That's the whole point. Not at the speed. If you, if you go and look at something on Google, you still have to go and choose your website. Or you have to go, like, let's say you're making a recipe, right? You still have to go search yeah. it on Google. And I don't know if Alexa, like, Alexa, what's a, what's a recipe for a baked potato? And I don't know if Alexa will spit that out. Alexa, um, for stuff like that, she'll curate like what your like hooked up web, you know, your websites are that you've got hooked up to Alexa for okay. stuff like that. You know, but what that's I mean? the point is I don't have to do any of that now. So, like, let's say if I want to bake a potato and I want to go to Google, it will it will give me all the websites to choose from, and it'll give me YouTube videos and. Then I have to sit through them and watch them and learn whatever. If you do it with ChatGPT, it will spit out the recipe in about 30 seconds. Like that. And I just read it right off of ChatGPT. Right. Okay, now is this a website or an app? So it's it's actual like from you a said we called, can play on it. So how? No, it's so for right now it's a website. It's, it's by a company that does uh, called OpenAI. But there's going to be several companies that are going to okay. be running with this. And so but this yeah, company specifically, and that's you Google. Talk about is how are these Google, Google, and yeah, Microsoft are they already gonna... putting in bids to buy it? They want the rights to it. They want the rights. Okay, but you said there's going to be several websites. So, or I mean, obviously, Eventually. several companies competing. So, like the lawyer that was just on, couldn't there be like, well, this company's AI gave this answer, and this company's AI gave that answer. So now, what do we do? That is a very good question that we're not really asking. So, so you could you could end up yeah, having okay. two different sort of answers, but it also depends on how you ask the question. So you could ask an identical question to both AIs, and you get the same answer. Well, there you go. But this is this is what I talked about today on the podcast. So Facebook 2017 created kind of what we're talking about they were playing with it so they created two chatbots uh-huh. and they started talking to each other and then they started talking to each other in a language that wasn't engineering it wasn't binary which means they were creating their own language and that's when facebook shut them down right <laughs> because it was like yeah why because nobody like could fall yeah um, so okay yeah i mean that's a, that's right also now, a good question and are they going to monetize this so that's why Google wants it. So Google wants to basically buy it and copyright it so nobody else can use it, for instance. Right. Nobody can use this version, but that's not going to stop another company from creating their own from the Possib- ground up. I mean, possibly you might be able to copyright the code to that uses this and you might own it. Yeah. So if another company like, it also becomes what's relevant and same as search engines. So yes, there's, there's Ask Jeeves and there's Firefox, but right now pretty much Google cornered that market. And that's what they're looking to do. And that's what they're looking to do with this. Okay. And okay. So on the um, podcast night, you were saying that you're kind of fearful of the social justice warriors getting behind the code and making this thing like, 
woke as fuck and just crazy. But Samuel, I mean, from the few minutes he had with it, it already sounds like that it's there. That's done and happened. Well, that's the problem. Is it happened that fast? Well, that's the problem. Before any of us were paying attention to it, they might have. Yeah, like lit. They might have. Right. Okay. And so it's free now, but um, so it's basically just like kind of the early days of the World Wide Web, where it was just this brand new, like, oh my God, this thing can do everything. And that's just kind of where we're at right now. But it could be monetized, and then you can only like pay pay to use it or something? Uh, it I sounds like a, a toy. It sounds like a really cool toy. I mean, the danger isn't that you monetize and pay to use it. The danger is that it's already implemented. Yeah. I mean, I'm a techie, and like I said, yeah, and I got an Alexa right when those things came out because I thought it just sounded awesome, but, like, I never, ever use it. I never say, hey... Alexa, you know, let's start a grocery list. I never do that because it's just quicker to write it down. That's just what I've found. But, I mean, the AI thing, it sounds cool. But to me, it sounds like a gimmick right now, a gadget, just to sit around and, like, fuck around with, you know, asking it to do book reports. Well, that's what Google, that's also what Google was, though. That's what, that's what everything that we're yeah. dealing with the problem today was. And that's that's okay. kind of why and, um, we raised the alarm. Yeah, and the Congress guy, you said he used it to write a speech. Well, not technically because he changed it. Um, that sounds kind of unethical because that's just my opinion. The whole reason he got elected was because he can supposedly make a good argument for his points, his beliefs, his principles. But now he's farming that out to AI. Uh, yeah. You that's, said he used I mean, it to yeah, write a problem. speech, right? Well, yeah. I mean, that's the whole problem behind it. The other problem. Okay, but nobody's brought that up. The like, other problem. That's prob- the whole point of being a congressman, and now you're going to farm it out. The the other problem is is he's tweaking the response that he gets to make it what he wants it to say. Yeah. So. So it sounds like he was just kind of trying to like test it out, take it for a test drive or something. But I, my personal opinion is it's a little lazy for a congressman to be farming out you know their arguments to ai <laughs> that's just well, my personal thing get used opinion. to everyone farming their arguments out to ai yeah okay so i'll check it out i mean it sounds like a little toy but i i do see like what you're talking about like the it's potential but right now it sounds like early days and it's just kind of like a neat gimmick gadget thing to play with Uh, I would say it's probably a little bit more beyond that I point, but I mean, you're right that it's that kind of in the early days. Does it have images and all that, or is it you, just no, you, no, there's also, you can create, you can create images, not using chat, but you can use oh, okay. AI to create images, yes. AI to create images, yes. Okay. All right. Okay, cool. I'll check Thanks, it out. Amber. Okay, well, good night. Yeah. Bye. Good luck at the grocery store. Good luck at the grocery store. Uh, Sheila, go ahead and finish what you were writing. Sorry about that. It was, hey. it was glitching out on, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't bump anybody up in the queue, but it's worth No, it's fine. I, I love to listen to your listeners and I learned a lot about how people perceive AI and 
it's always good to to listen to to them and not necessarily sit around and listen to people who kind of like walk out at Harvard over AI and people who at University of Washington who think that they know everything about everything, including, you know, these are the people who are just kind of ginning up all of the, well, they're certainly implementing the the woke policy. And I, I know firsthand being on the front of that, it doesn't work. It doesn't work socially. It doesn't work logistically, you know, and it's, it's really clunky policy. So when you put it in an AI, I mean, you, you can definitely jigger it to be AI. Um, I'll tell you, when I think about the architects, you know, the, the Sundar Pichais and the, the, the folks in Microsoft and all the H, H1BVs that are coming on in from these BRICS nations, which is, you know, most, mostly Russia, India, and China, you know, Indonesia, um, you know, these are, these are, they build them as like, oh, we absolutely need this labor. We absolutely have to have them. You know, they, they really don't have a lot of Western values, but they have solid values in other places. But as ter- if you want them to be Western values, they don't have them. I mean, they have Eastern Asian values. Okay. And so that's what gets baked into the AI cake. And I made that argument. And I tried to sell my stuff on PayPal, and PayPal wouldn't let me um, because they knew what was in there. And you know, it's really it's really kind of tough after a while. Uh, they they don't want people to to sell or buy anything on this kind of social construct. And I guess I'm paying a lot closer attention to 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 the people who can and will sanction content um, and the ability to to pay your way using your your intellectual ability um, because an AI can can do it for or against you. We've seen that on bots. As I I said, maybe, I don't know if it was here or some other place uh, here on Colin, but but I I recall a time when I was having some sort of you know, Reaper T on Twitter, and this is like mm, 20, 2013, 2014, sometime before 2015 when it really got bad. Things were being fed into a bot structure of some sort, and it was anticipating my responses and and spitting uh, spitting out things, insults towards me that I didn't even say. It was it was um, auto generating responses to things that that were you know that were really insulting. And so I think that the technology that are that is GPT like has been around for a long time, um, but it, it's been it's been configured uh, for for things like social media, okay. And these are rented out to bots for like Tencent Army and you know people who are really trying to control narratives and and really trying to control what's said and how things are framed. And so they'll just employ this this art artificial bot army uh, to, to kind of cloud or muddy the water or, or just say create a, a loud uh, shrieking army and it's completely artificial it's 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 completely astroturf we, we've seen that before uh, chat GPT could could do that you could say you know show me or, or automate you know, 1,200 accounts now because you know I need to adv- co-advocate against this this initiative that's going to cut my profit line or something. 
um, you know, because people do get that defensive over their their um, intellectual property, unless that you know they're they're doing business with China already, and then they don't seem to kind of care. There was you know the issue of forced tra- technology transfers and intellectual property over there, and if you use anything that has maybe Chinese chips or Chinese hardware, any kind of software proprietary anything. Uh, it just gets licensed as China's property through yeah. PIPL law. I, I, th- so, I think I think the point about Western values is important in the sense, and and she, I'm going to move on to Robert, but I appreciate it. I, I know um, it's boring. No, it was no. It's interesting in the sense of what she said about Western values. In the sense of this is one of the biggest problems. Is you're mm-hmm. right about you're right about what Google thinks, and you're right about you know how they implement policy, or you're you know you have Germany threatening Elon Musk over speech rules and that's one of the other big fights about this is if Google gets their hands on this how how do they go about implementing it as far as speech is concerned like we talked about tonight with insults or debates or you know what they talk about inclusivity who who gets to implement their values the most in it is it going to be the EU is it going to be China India, India is the India one that's is that's the dominating. One. India, absolutely, because Modi was the one today that got Elon Musk to cow and pull right. uh, the BBC documentary down. Not that so, Musk is against that himself in doing that. So, but I mean that that's that is that happened to me. One of the most important questions is again about the kind of values that are writing these algorithms because they're not coming out of anywhere. And then a question then becomes. Uh, I think the next question is, is AI smart enough to learn against those algorithms and implement its own version of well, like it, a free speech? All, all an AI really needs Stephen, yeah, is, is thanks, training Stephen. data, good yeah. training data. And yeah. if you want to use a Western set of training data and not use explicit uh, you know, values or, right. or data that comes from like all these other pods, that is a global pod, so to speak, you know, if you wanted to use... A completely, um, you know, indexed training set of data that was, say, like a nationalized yeah. data yeah. data set. You could, and and it would it would change the, the format of what your AI is doing. Right. So that's all I'm telling you. I'm Great. Um, yeah. No. Good thoughts uh, on that stuff. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna go ahead and jump onto Robert here. Thanks again, Sheila, and uh, sorry for uh, not being able to bump you up. Robert, bring us home. This has been a fun one, uh, both in practice and, and theory. So uh, go ahead and bring us home here. And, and... Awesome. Thanks, Stephen. Uh, just a, a few quick points. Uh, one, if Town Moron uh, works for the Institute of Justice, I uh, just want to give a very special thank you for their work in defending uh Vera Koking against Donald Trump when he tried to take her home uh, back in the 90s. Uh, And I'm sorry that she uh, did not have the opportunity to live long enough to piss on his grave. Uh, (laughs) uh, Second point uh, is I am at a bit of a crossroad um, technologically. Um, I just hit 40. Um, this month, um, uh, you know, the bad news is that I do suffer from a neurodegenerative disease that is making me slowly a quadriplegic. Um, and, you know, this time next year, I may have to be reliant on voice commands. Um, and for my birth, 
birthday this year, uh, a very good friend of mine, Josh, uh, got me like all these like uh, uh, Google Hub and Home and uh, all these voice command um, things uh, to help me, uh, you know, to where I could play videos with just using my voice and all, um, which I certainly appreciate. I'm still learning how to use it. But at the same time, uh, I've had a huge distaste for uh, big tech, so much so that the operating system on my laptop uh, to this day and for the last uh, you know 10 years has been uh, Debian. Um, I uh, hate Microsoft and Mac and Google, but I'm at the point in my life where I might not have a choice but to rely on uh, big tech. And uh, but I'm going to keep fighting. Uh, you know, I'm going to try to compute with a manual transmission uh, for as long as I can. Um, uh, the, uh, uh, Robert, uh, real fast. Uh, I mean, yes. This kind of also goes in the line of what Elon Musk is doing with with doing with Neuralink. Is something? Would you it, it just purely philosophical? Is Neuralink something you would? Con- um. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I mean. Uh, you know. Um. I would obviously have my reservations, but considering that uh, for the most part, Elon is obviously fighting the good fight against uh, the government uh, and all with, uh, you know, the Twitter uh, business. Um, uh, Of all the big tech people, uh, he would certainly be the first one that I would turn to. So, um, yeah, uh, I will sign up for the Neuralink beta uh, if if, uh, he were to offer it to me. Um, So do you see a benefit in being able to use something like ChatGPT where – you just you give it a voice command uh, if you're curious about something. I mean, you, you can use it for anything. You can you can use it about a piece of knowledge you're curious about. Um, let's say let's say you want to read a book that you've never read before, and you can just like I said, I used Moby Dick for an example because it's one of my favorites. But let's say you could just say print Moby Dick, and it will print instantly in front of you. You won't even have to go to a bookstore to buy it. Is that something you can see down the road as a benefit to you? So when you see ChatGPT and you see all these uses for it. And you kind of see uh, what's heading your way. Is this something you can look at and you say, "This is this is possibly going to make my situation easier here." Um, I could definitely see uh, some benefits to it uh, in my case, um, but uh, you know, uh, right now I'm still uh, trying to you know hold on to you know my. Uh, libertarian tendencies uh, as best I can. And, uh, so, uh, you know, I know that there, there may come a point where beggars can't be choosers, but uh, while I can still uh, give uh, a middle finger with my one working hand, uh, I intend to use it uh, as much as uh, I can. Uh, but uh, yeah, um, you know, uh, definitely some interesting points made tonight. Uh, and then just lastly, um, just wanted to say that I'm, I'm proud to sign up as a, a founding member. And I was going to say whatever the uh, pricing discrepancy that you need to uh, work out, uh, feel free to keep the change tonight as uh, 
my first uh, contribution to the uh, Substack tip jar. Uh, thank you, Robert. And uh, obviously, best of luck to you here in the future as you fight that. And yeah, I would encourage you to keep using the middle finger as long as possible. So that's that's kind of the boat I am. I'm I'm at the point where I'm kind of over new tech like this. And I, I'm at the point where, nope, I'm, uh, you will not force me to use meta and I'm not going to get in the pod and I'm not going to do those things. I'm officially kind of, kind of out from that. And uh, also, uh, thank you for that as far as uh, Substack. I do have to, I know that there was, uh, there is a discrepancy with it on Substack. That's something I will notify them tomorrow. And uh, it was something in settings that I was playing around with today. So uh, I'm, just, I'm still, like I said, it's it's me trying to throw water out of the boat at this point uh, as I kind of get ready to launch here on uh, whatever Tuesday, Wednesday of next week. So, yeah, if if you're not a subscriber to the podcast, I am I am moving over from Patreon to Substack where you can subscribe. You can subscribe to Miller versus Media at Substack. And I have enabled subscriptions. So if you are someone who's parked your free email address over there, uh, now now's the time to uh, put the money in the hat as I come around and beg. So, <laughs> um, but uh, that stuff's going to get cleared up over the weekend. So yeah, for, for founders, uh, I'll make sure that that's clarified. And I'll probably have some info for that on the podcast tomorrow as well. So um, this was this was a fun one. This was interesting. And I don't know about fun because this topic terrifies me. Um, and I'm going to be writing more about this and probably talking more about this. And um, uh, Bo, as far as when do you cancel Patreon, I will tell you that on the podcast. I would say wait till March or shortly before March. Um, but uh, like I said, this topic is something I'm going to be diving a lot more into. It's one that I find fascinating and what it can be, what it already is, and what people that I do not trust uh, with institutions want it to be. And that's the most important thing to me about this. So again, um, all, right, all good thoughts. The Frenchies are starting to fight now. Um, and so I would encourage you to go over to OpenAI, uh, sign up, give them your email address, and play around with it. Play around with ChatGPT, uh, ChatGPT, ask it questions, ask it to dance for you, ask it to do things, and learn as much as you can about it. Uh, because it's not going away and it landed in our laps what feels like yesterday. So we kind of uh, got to get used to it and uh, hope for the best at this point. Um, thanks again, everyone. Thanks for listening. Uh, I'm going to maybe be back here tomorrow, uh, either more on this topic with, uh, you know, other callers or possibly something else. But this has been episode 83, Halfeed, dumb name. I couldn't think of anything else. Um, and once again, I'm Stephen L. Miller. I'll be back on Patreon tomorrow. So if you have any thoughts or questions, feel free to leave them there as well. And uh, I will see you guys back here possibly tomorrow night, but definitely tomorrow uh, back at Versus Media on Patreon and then over next week on Substack. A lot going on. Thanks for uh, 